Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Sunday, December the 10th. And welcome to our commentary. Well, there's a new president in Argentina. We've been talking about this fellow for for a couple of weeks. He was elected, uh, uh, well, a couple of weeks ago in what turned out to be a huge landslide. No one was expecting that. Uh, but he was elected by over 10 points in Argentina, bringing down the, the big political machine of the Kishner uh, and Perón governments of the last 40 or 50 years. So it was a huge victory for him. And today he became president. But I have a post about this uh, coming out uh, Monday morning where I ask the question, or I say that, not necessarily ask the question, but I point out that there were two things on the 1st of July that nobody would have predicted. The first one was the Texas Rangers winning the World Series. Look, we thought the Rangers were going to be in, in the postseason, but win the World Series. I don't think any of us were calling for that. So that's number one, the Rangers winning the World Series. And the second one was this fellow Javier Millet being elected president of Argentina. Nobody saw this coming. And in fact, uh, on July 1st, I don't even think he was a serious candidate, but he did it. He went up against the machine and he won by over 10 points. So today he gave his inauguration speech. I had an opportunity to listen to some of it in Spanish. He was very energetic, as he always is, very assertive, as he always is. But I also thought he was very realistic in what he said. And he basically told the people of Argentina, hey, look, you know, we got some real problems here. Uh, he has a line that loosely translates to we don't have any money, which is exactly right. We don't have any money. The country is broke. Uh, it has uh, overinflated. I mean, the inflation is is ridiculous. The unemployment rate is high. A lot of Argentines are living uh, at poverty or near poverty levels. I mean, it is not a good situation. So when he speaks this way to the country, I think most of the country appreciates the fact that he's being honest uh, with them because the country is indeed in very bad shape. He also said that no government has inherited the economic mess that he's inheriting. That's probably true also, although I cannot verify that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that also is true. Now, he faces some severe challenges, uh, severe challenges. The biggest one is that the Congress is, is not necessarily in the hands of the opposition, but he's going to have to have some coalitions. Nobody has a majority in the Congress, his party or the previous uh, party, so they're going to have to have some coalitions. They're going to have to figure out some way of getting some of his legislation through. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But the one thing that he's got going for him, the one thing that he's got going for him is that at the moment, he's popular. And at the moment, because of the victory that he won, winning by over 10 points, he has that kind of public support that is so essential to get anything done. When you take over a country and the country's a mess, uh, the voters are willing to give you a little, a little, cut you a little slack, or at least give you a little time to get some things done and to make some things happen. So he's got probably about six months to put forward some reforms and to sell the country, sell the people of Argentina on what he wants to do. And what he wants to do is, you know, just basically blow up the socialism and uh, let's just say the, the federal, uh, the, the, from the top to the bottom type of, 
control, the centralization, that's the word I was trying to think of, the centralization of power and break it up a little bit and maybe give some power to the states and so on. It's a very serious challenge that he faces. Nobody's denying that. And hopefully he can at least get some things done, like maybe the dollarization of the economy that I believe would help with the inflation problem. But he faces a very tough task. And as I said before, the one thing he's got going for him right now as he begins uh, this very historic presidential term, what he's got going for him is the fact that most of the country understands how bad things are. And that's why they gave him a victory of over 10 points in the last uh, presidential election. When you win by margins of over 10 points, that means a lot of people support you. You Just put that in some perspective, for example, here in the United States. The last time we had a president win by more than 10 points or a candidate win by more than 10 points was 1984 when President Reagan, in running for re-election, got almost 20 points in his uh, re-election landslide. But every president since, you know, President Bush in 1988, he won, I believe, by seven points. Uh, then you had several others. Uh, I mean, the Clinton victories have to be understood in, in the context that there were three candidates uh, in the race, you know, Perot, Bush, and, uh, and Clinton. Uh, and then in 1996, you know, Perot, Dole, and, and Clinton. So, you know, but either, either, either one of those two, he never won by more than 10 points. Bush didn't, Obama didn't, uh, Trump didn't. And Biden didn't. So but when you win by 10 points, you're putting yourself in some pretty historic territory. And that's where Javier Millet is right now, in that kind of very historic territory. So he's got the people with him. He's got popular, popular opinion with him. And he's got a country that uh, is hurting, hurting. When he tells the country, we don't have any money, that's not a shock for most people in Argentina because what they have is inflated pesos that are worthless. So we wish him the best. I really want this guy to succeed because I want his kind of thinking, frankly, uh, to succeed in Latin American politics. But it's going to be, it's going to be very, very tough. Well, last week, and we're going to get into more of this with our conversation with Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. We're going to talk with Bill on Monday, but we're going to get into more of this situation with the college presidents, you know, those three ladies that went before Congress and just made absolute fools of themselves when they were talking about, you know, violence and context and all of that. One of them has already resigned. There is a big effort to remove the president of Harvard, and I hope they remove her. She is also a disgrace. And I, I think that hopefully what comes out of all of this is an understanding that our universities are way to the left, that we are promoting radical ideas in our universities that are completely vindictive, poisonous, and destructive to the American people. And hopefully that comes out of all of this. And hopefully what also comes out of all of this is that universities get back to the idea of teaching and creating the kind of environment where people can talk and disagree without being called this or this or that if you disagree with them. So I don't know if that's going to happen, but I like to see the universities get back into that world where we encourage dissent, where we encourage free speech, and where we allow people to state their differences without being uh, given all kinds of nicknames as 
as we tend to do, we call you a racist, we call you a homophobic, if we disagree with you, that kind of stuff has to stop. That kind of stuff has to stop. And we have to have presidents of these universities who are, first of all, pro-American. I would say that's a big thing. They have to be pro-American. And they have to be pro-freedom of speech. And that's not happening in many of these universities. So my guess is that the president of Harvard will also be leaving. What's, what's also happening is that people with money are now donating. And that's really the key. I mentioned this uh, a week ago when, the first, when this first came up that the way you get back at these universities is when the people who write the big checks don't write them anymore. When they simply say, no, we're not going to write those checks like you want us to. No, we're not going to. And when that happens, when they start feeling it in the budget, that's when they listen, when they listen to you. And I understand that many people are, you know, threatening to cut uh, donations to Harvard. I know they did to Penn. And again, this is how you do it. You have to get these alumni you have to get these foundations to say we're not going to send you any money until you change your attitude about free speech and and until you you begin to realize that what you call what you know what you call you know what the context is is nothing but anti-Semitism of the worst uh, of the worst kind. Well, interesting article that I read uh, today about California. California faces a huge deficit now. now Deficit by itself doesn't mean anything because it could just be a bad year. But uh, they, apparently they face a, a little bit of, re of a recession as well, you know. And when California is in a recession, of course, that's a big thing because that's a big economy. What's happening in California is a combination of just some very bad legislation, anti-business le legislation, frankly, driving a lot of businesses out of the state. But what's also happening is that people are leaving the state. A lot of taxpayers are leaving the state. You know, they're moving to a lot of places. Texas is one of them. And when they leave California, they leave their, they take their taxes with them. They take their income with them. They take their revenues with them. They take their, you know, companies with them. And that's hurting the state. Now it's really starting to hurt them. In fact, the article that I wrote today or that I, that I read today, the article that I read today says that, our, you know, California may be facing several years of deficits an economic recession because you just you cannot lose as many people as California is losing and not have an economic impact. So we're going to stay on that story a little bit. But California is not doing well and they can only look in the mirror and see the problem. The problem is the legislators in California who just don't seem to understand that you have to you have to create wealth before you uh, distribute it. Well, a couple of things on this day in history. Uh, on this day back in 1971, Nolan Ryan, Ryan was traded to the California Angels, and that was the beginning of the Nolan Ryan story. He was, he was a young pitcher with the Mets, had a lot of potential, but had not lived up to the potential, and he was traded to the Angels. And for the next 10 years, he was the, the Nolan Ryan that, that we came to know. Eventually, when he went to Houston, and then he went to Texas, at the end of his career. But on this day in 1971, the Mets traded Nolan Ryan to the Angels. And that went down as one of the worst trades in Major League history, to say the least, because Nolan Ryan went on to become Nolan Ryan. And the Mets got Jim Fregosi, who was actually a good player, but obviously nothing compared to the success that Nolan Ryan went, went on to have uh, with the Angels and then later the Astros and the, later the Rangers here, seven no-hitters. That's what he pitched after he was traded uh, by the Mets. 
Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas. And go Cowboys. I think they're playing very well tonight. Uh, and uh, keep it up. They need to win this game. Talk to you later. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas.